do do. Here we go. My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to Zen Parenting Radio. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And who doesn't want to feel outstanding? And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, we are going to talk about uh, the Robcast. Rob Bell has a podcast. He spoke at our conference last year. And we're going to talk about a very specific part of last week's episode called Seatbelts and Snowflakes. I'm glad that you enjoyed that podcast as much as I did, my darling. I did. And then I'm also going to uh, talk a little bit about a NPR Radio Hour podcast. Um, and the name of it is eluding me, but it has to do with slowing down. Listen to Slowing Down is the name of it. Oh, that's interesting. And I'm actually only halfway through it, but there's a certain section I want to uh, talk about. Uh, but first, my quick take. Before you do your quick take, yeah, I also want to end with something, a really quick thing. It's not like a brand new topic, but about love. Love, love, love. You're going to play the love boat. No, I'm not. I'm not going to play the love boat. I don't even, I'm looking for love on my soundboard, but I don't think I have anything that says love in it. So I'm completely operational and all my circuits are functioning perfectly. <laughs> wow! I feel good. That has nothing to do with love. I was going to say, what was the circuits <laughs> thing? It's like opposite. It's like a machine. I never use a soundboard anymore. It was like the cool, like fancy trick when I started being a podcaster. Play, play one more. One more. I'm a, hey, hey, hey. Who wants to have some fun? Do you know who that is? Uh-uh. It's Cosmo Kramer. Oh, yeah. Um, so here's um, my quick take, and then we're going to uh, talk briefly about the conference. Um, the Olympics are coming up. No, the, they're now. Da, 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 da. Are you going to join me? Da, 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 da. But you just said they're coming up. Whatever, sweetie. They're here. They have arrived. And there is a woman by the name of Erin Jackson uh-huh. who is a speed skater. And she's oh, yes. 25 years old. Yes. She's a native of Florida. Yes. Which is interesting. You don't think of somebody from Florida being a speed skater. But she's a three-time female athlete of the year for roller skating and inline skating. Guess how many months of ice skating experience uh, she's had? I, I think I know this story, like a year. You or told something. me about this. Yeah, like a year. When she she was, I, I don't know how long ago, but it says she had four months of ice skating experience when the unexpected happened. And she practiced. So basically, she started really late uh-huh. from the ice skating. But now she's in the Olympics. Remar- remarkably, until this past fall, Jackson had competed only in online roller skates. She took up ice skating barely four months ago when the original goal of training for next Winter Olympics was 2022. Wow. So the reason I bring this up yes. is us parents are raising children. And athletics is an important component in uh, many parents and children's lives. And this is just a little bit of a perspective shift. You with me so far? I get you. Um, and I want to come up with, I, I, I did a little Google search and I came up with some examples of famous or partially famous athletes who started late. Misty Copeland. Misty Copeland. I have her in here somewhere. So you're beating me to the punch. But oh yeah, she started ballet. Who is Misty Copeland? She's like the best ballerina in the world. Right. And she started when she was 13 years old. 13. Mm-hmm. For if there's, so if there's a parent out there that feels like they're behind because their five-year-old didn't start playing soccer until they were five and not three. Or your nine-year-old. Like I, I see online a lot, you know, how you have um, pages that are dedicated to your town and mm-hmm. people ask a lot of questions of each other and are helpful to each other. And people will be like, you know, I have a 10-year-old who wants to start playing you know, softball, how do I get them started? Mm-hmm. And a lot of parents are like, oh, that that ship has sailed. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so sad. It is so sad. Like that a 10-year-old is kind of like, oh, I'm interested in this, but that they had, if they wanted to be in it, they had to have started four years ago. That's well, crazy. And I want to talk, uh, I was going to close with this part, uh, with this section, but I'll start with it. John O'Sullivan is somebody who spoke mm-hmm. at our first conference and we've had him on the podcast. So if you go to ZenParentingRadio.com and do a search for O'Sullivan, you'll find him. What he explained to us was that most athletes who are famous mm-hmm. are freaks of nature. Correct. They're just good at everything. They're just kind of good. Like I think he brought up some uh, tennis player like Rafael Nadal mm-hmm. could be easily be a professional soccer player. Correct. 
just like Michael Jordan could play basketball, baseball, baseball. Right. So these are freaks of nature, but just to kind of maybe alleviate some of the anxiety of some parents that might have regarding their kid being, um, you know, in line for certain things. Do you know who Tim Duncan is? Uh-uh. He is an NBA basketball star. I think he's retired, but he's got many rings and one of the best centers ever. He started playing basketball in high school. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's a woman named Alex Morgan. Um, she did not play. She did not begin playing soccer until she was 13, but she took to the game quickly and is now the premier striker for USWNT. I don't know what mm-hmm. that means, but some professional organization. Dikembe Mutombo, remember mm-hmm. him? Yeah, the guy with the finger. Yeah, I remember saying, "Stay out of my house." Mm-hmm. In the in the in the box in basketball, he started playing basketball when he went to Georgetown. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Jimmy Graham, who's a tight end, who was really good on my fantasy team a few years ago. He's still good, but not as good. He began playing football, and after four years on the University of Miami basketball team, uh, he started playing um, football and has become one of the top tight ends in the NFL. Okay, Akeem Olajuwon, one of the best centers of all time, started playing basketball at the age of 15. So here's what's so interesting about this. I I was just talking to my college kids about this last week, but on the other side, meaning all these people you're talking about are the people who started something much later in their lives, but like you said, just had a natural talent for it, could pick it up because they had a certain body type or skill set that aligned well with it, correct? Mm -hmm. What I was talking to my college students about is you can love a sport and not believe that your love of it needs to then result in gold medals and professional sports. There's there's some girls, for example, who are in my class who are on the dance team mm-hmm. and at, at the college. And they love to dance, right? And they're right now they're on a team and this is part of their sport, you know, this is part of their school. It's not like once you're done with that and you don't go pro or you don't end up in New York that you quit dancing. Right. You can still go dance. You just find different ways. Or like, you know, we always talk about you with you played baseball and you could only go so far Mm -hmm. because of, I don't know, I think it was more your size or yours. Yeah. And, but you can still play baseball. I still play baseball. And that's the thing is like, sometimes we we take sports and we're like, the only reason a sport is necessary is if it's going to get my kid into college or they're going to go pro. And again, a lot of us would say, no, I don't think that. I think sports are good for leadership and blah, blah, blah. But why are you kicking your kid's butt all over the field then when they don't get a a goal? Because there's this big, there's this voice in the back of our minds. It's like, this isn't worthwhile unless you're the best. Mm -hmm. We're going to get money for it, meaning school, or if this is somehow going to be your future. When really sports is just supposed to be another outlet for us, like an enjoyment. Team building. Exactly. Um, And, you know, a lot of parents spend tens of thousands of dollars getting their kid trained all about for, with the hopes of a college scholarship that could give them hundreds of dollars right. or thousand dollars. Right. So in other words, they pay 15 and, you know, the best coaches and the best camps and they may not ever get any of it back. And, you know, the idea of that, that's their intention anyways, <laughs> but say, there are some parents yeah, that do that. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. Um, a few other quick examples. Antonio Gates was signed by the San Diego, San Diego Chargers in 2003. He's one of the best tight ends ever to play the game. He didn't play a single snap of college football. Yeah. So now I want to pivot off of athletics. Okay. Phyllis Diller, everybody loves Phyllis uh-huh. Diller. Um, she became a comedian at the age of 37. Kristen so the, Wiig. Kristen Wiig. What about her? She became a comedian when she was 23. Uh, something like that. Yeah. she Basically, she wasn't doing comedy at all. Yeah. And then she ended up finding, it was either the Groundlings or Second City after kind of tooling around wherever she was living. If it was Second City, it was Chicago. And if it was Groundlings, it was LA. Mm-hmm. And somehow decided to take an improv class and was like, oh, this is kind of fun. But never in her teen years or anything was she like in the drama club and doing that. She And this is Kristen Wiig for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. She had no idea that this would be her career. Right. Um, and then a little lady by the name of Laura Ingalls, Ingalls Wilder. You ever heard of her? Yeah, she's a pretty good writer. She began writing as a columnist in her 40s. Yes. So the whole idea is this, this is it's never too late. Martha Stewart began, built her first business in her mid-30s. Um, so that's a thing. Well, not only is it never too late, there there's, oh, there's like such a rabbit hole here because it's – our lives are a progression – 
of experiences. And a lot of times we have children and we create a story in our head of how it's going to go and the dream we have for them. And we may have a child who says, I want to do this when they're eight. And then we build their whole life around something they said that when they were eight and we get our hopes up or we create a world around it when really it's, maybe that was something they liked at eight, but then that leads to something else. And then we evolve and grow um, and we learn and we meet someone here and then that takes us here. And that's the joy of life. And again, many of you could share different stories with me, you know, like, well, my daughter started piano when she was three mm. and now she plays for whatever. Yeah. And that's been her life and she loves it. Well, of course there's, yeah. there's stories for every situation, yeah. but the idea that there is one way and the idea that we as parents should decide what that one way is, yep. that's the that's the thing I take issue with is that we have to back up. Beep, beep, yeah. beep. And also- Keep our eye on the prize. Keep, yeah, exactly, which is the connection with our child and listening to them because they could also walk away from something and go back to it. There's always time. Or they may walk away from something and it was never meant to be. It was your dream. Yeah. It wasn't theirs. Yeah. Or they could walk away from something and take something valuable from that thing and apply it to the next thing. Can I pivot to Kristen Wiig real quick? Please. Uh, no, I just want to look good for a wedding I'm going to. I love weddings! I get to sit at circle tables and listen to the hits of today! Like who is that? It's the Target lady. That's the Target so, lady. So, yeah, we were, I was just, my sister and I were just Approved. talking about <laughs> Did you hear us talking yes, about that? Yes, I did. We were trying, so my sister was helping me create a Facebook ad for, <laughs> for the conference. And I don't know about any of you who have your own businesses or do Facebook ads, but it, the it's so crazy because sometimes you don't get approved because there's too much text in it. Mm -hmm. So my sister and I were like waiting, like, is this going to get approved? And, and then it, we started And it got saying, approved. There we approved. go. Approved. If you don't know what a Zen talk is, it's something we do with the Team Zen. You ask questions, we answer, we have discussions, we support each other. It's a live podcast. 100% support. What is it? What, what's her tagline? Uh, I don't remember. 100%. Where's my water bottle? It has something to do with 100% support. <laughs> Zero pressure. Zero pressure, 100% support. Thank you. Uh, tribe meeting January 29th. January 30th, we're, uh, we are doing a bystander moment screening, um, partnering up with Navigate Adolescence, Raising a Confident Daughter, February 4th, February 12th, you're going to be in Bloomingdale. And then the- Talking about self-awareness and self-compassion and self-care, I think. That's exactly right. And then February 28th, 28th and 29th, that's the big one. That's the, the conference. That's the granddaddy of them all, sweetie. Yeah. So Zen Parenting Conference, um, it is- so. If you want to know more about our speakers, go to zenparentingconference.com or zenparentingradio.com and click on events. Uh, when you click on events, you'll see all the events that Todd just mentioned. So it'll give you all the information about where they are in time and place and whether or not you need tickets or to register. But the conference, um, jump on it now because it's very soon and you want to make sure you can make your plans. Let's go to Rob. Please. Um I shared this with you. Uh, Rob is somebody who spoke at our conference last year, and I listened to most all of his podcasts. But this one I was especially blown away by. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know if it was something inside of me or if everybody would be blown away by it. But it obviously connected with you as well. It was one of the – okay, all of his podcasts are good. And, you know, Todd and I, you know, we love – you know, the things that Rob talks about and how he talks about it. He mm. also has a, a talent in how he threads things together. But there was something very rich about this podcast. And I use that word on purpose, meaning it was so multi-layered and you think, oh, this is going to be the big part of it. Oh, no, this is the big part of it. And I think that it's very hard to figure out what the best part of this podcast was, but we decided to focus on, because he, he numbers things. He yeah. says, here's some things we need to focus on. And I think Todd and I agree that number four was one of the most interesting pieces. I think they're all that good, but to your point, we can't play the whole thing. So this one is as good as any of the others. So, um, so the, the podcast name is actually uh, Seatbelts and Snowflakes. Mm -hmm. And it was last week, so you would have to go back in his archive. And this is the fourth thing that he talks about. Four. Let's keep going. Number four, your evolution is taking a while. <laughs> I love that one. My evolution is taking a while. Yeah. Yeah. Grace, 
We, we work out our faith, fear and trembling. Yeah, it takes a while. Two steps forward, one step back. Your evolution is taking a while. And the reason why I say that is perhaps you right now are seeing all of these new things being birthed, new awareness, new understanding, injustice is being called out, entrenched systems of power and exploitation are being called into question. And you're like, faster, 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 come on, you want the whole thing to change right now, politically, economically, uh, gender relations, sexually, whatever it is. And you're like, come on, come on, come on. It's important to remember your evolution your change, your growth, your waking up is taking a while. And if, if every one of us as an individual, it's taking a while, and then you put millions of us together, it might take a while. <laughs> Are you with me on this? Yeah. Yeah. It might take a while. It might take a while. And that's part of it. It doesn't mean you don't have anger. It doesn't mean you don't march. It doesn't mean you don't shake your fist. It doesn't mean you don't throw some stones here. But it's really, really important. Because imagine if how you feel when somebody says to you, get it together. Come on, what's your problem? Faster. Imagine when you feel condemnation and judgment on yourself for the ways in which you haven't yet arrived, whatever that means. So it's really, really, really important. Why don't things happen f faster? Because what's true of your own body as an individual is true of the body politic and the body plural. And so here's why I say this. It's really, really, really important. If you forget that your own waking up, your own history, your own unfolding maturity is taking a while. If you forget this, your enlightenment can easily become an obstacle to the enlightenment of others. Come on. Is that good? That's it. So. Okay. Even that two minutes. Yeah. Is so rich and multi-layered. Well, and we have the context because we listen to whole, the whole thing. So I'm wondering if we can break it down a little bit, and and you know, for somebody who's never heard of this podcast, can you help? Help us understand what he's talking about. Well, our own awakening. Oh, okay. So you want me to like? Okay. Yeah. So basically, the there's so many layers in there. Basically, what he's saying first is that we're all evolving all the time, mm -hmm. and why this was so meaningful to me is that I've okay. And I'm going to say this is going to sound really brain focused, not heart focused. I know that knowledge wise. I've known that life is a constant unfolding and an evolution. But I think there's an ego part of all of us that think we reach something and then we got it. Mm -hmm. In If it be with a trauma that we're trying to heal or a grief that we're trying to be done with or, or, forgiveness, and, or forgiveness of something against yes, us. Yes. Or I don't judge anymore or whatever. And the truth is, it's a constant process. And I think think life continues to show up and demonstrate that it's never done. And my, you know, for those of you who listened to the show a couple weeks ago, I um, really kind of was apologetic to anybody who had listened, who had ever heard me be judgmental of their evolving or their way of managing their own pain. And again, I don't know if I ever have, but if I ever have, I apologize and will again profusely because I am still evolving, you are evolving, and the evolving means that we are in constant progress and no one is there. Right. No one, no one's like, I'm there. It's part of the reason, even in this line of work, and I think Todd and I have been pretty open about this, but we work and experience some people who teach this stuff in such a way as if they got it. And they are just looking down on people and saying, be like me. Yeah. And you should do what I say and read my book. And it feels to me, and I, I can only speak for myself, Todd, that it feels like they have taken spirituality and an evolvement and made it into a business. Yeah. And I have, and it's a weird place for you and I to be, because this is our business. Right. But it's so like it's not as if I'm so more evolved than them because right. you always have to kind of figure out. But I do recognize the messiness of it. Mm -hmm. And I do recognize 
that I am peers with everyone on this planet. Yeah. That there is, I, I think it's fantastic if I say something that resonates with you, but just that definition resonates mean you already knew it. Mm-hmm. So it's not like Kathy brought wisdom to the planet. There is something that someone says or does that reminds you of who you are. Well, and and first of all, I agree with everything you're saying, but I want to take a slightly different shot at what you're saying because one thing you said is you're never done, and I completely agree. We're never done. We're evolving until we die. Correct. That's the deal. Yes. But there are times when you do have a breakthrough where you do find the courage or the vulnerability to forgive somebody who harmed you or be more mindful than you used to be or whatever. So I do think you do have, we do have these mini breakthroughs. What I want to focus on is that before you had these breakthroughs, you were still that unforgiving person or that not mindful person. And what I hear a lot is husbands and wives who say, I'm in the spirituality thing. I'm on this path, but my husband isn't, or my wife isn't. How do I get them up to speed? And my thing is, you can't really do that. One is have a little bit of empathy because before you had these breakthroughs, you were a part of whatever your husband or wife is showing to you right Correct. now. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. And I've also said, you know, you also don't have control over anybody's evolution. That doesn't mean you can't like guide them. And the example I love to give is you said to me, listen to uh, or watch or uh, read A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Mm-hmm. And I tried to listen to it and the guy had a thick German accent and I totally didn't like it. And I didn't, read it or I didn't, I, I listened to most of my books. I don't read them because I'm in the car a lot. I chose not to do it. You, you presented it to my awareness and then you let go of it. Mm-hmm. Years later, Oprah was doing this thing with that cart and the book changed my life. But if you would have pushed me into that evolution, it would have been you pushing me into an evolution. I wouldn't have arrived there by myself. Well, and you wouldn't have even evolved. Yeah. I would have been pushing something on you that you weren't ready to experience because you didn't want to or it wasn't your time. So you may have read it, but you would have read it for me and it wouldn't have gone into that place. Mm-hmm. And it may have, you may have read it for me and then two years later you got it. I'm not saying that, you, I'm not saying to people stop suggesting books to your right. loved ones. What I'm saying is you can't make it happen. Now, going back to what you said before about, like you said, you know, people evolving at different times, I do agree that with you that we either live this life consciously or unconsciously. And and there's a mixture of both, sure. obviously. But why I do feel very at home in this, and I don't even want to call it a line of work, it's my life. Why I feel very at home in my life is because I have always, since I remember being a human, since I was a child, like we all felt this way, I remember I wanted to live consciously, yeah. which means I wanted to like be tell the truth and like see things and like feel things and like... And and I think we all are like that. I, yeah. I don't. I, again, this isn't a Kathy specialness. Yeah. But I think a lot of us, because of experiences in our life, sometimes things that have nothing to do with us—they're not our fault. They're traumas, or where we grew up, or a, a country we may happen to live in. We we can, we can only live on that surface. Mm-hmm. We we live unconsciously because we're just trying to survive. Yeah. And for some of us, that's very literal. Yeah. Like you're a refugee and you're yeah. just trying to survive. It's very literal. And for some of us, there may be a little more choice. But the deep dive into unconscious is too scary. Yeah. And we don't want to look at our pain and we don't want to be honest and we want to put up a mask because it feels autopilot feels safer. Mm-hmm. And so when he's talking about people's involvement and he's saying we're all evolving at different times, there are some people who are willing to live more consciously, but they're not necessarily better or ahead. They just are taking a deeper dive in the moment. But then they may have a year, a couple years later where they go straight ego. Do you know what I mean? So. I agree with you that there are some people who are willing mm-hmm. to do the forgiveness and the hard work. And for that, that it, those are the people that we tend to, um, you know, they're the people of character. Yeah. They're the people who are who are living in this honest way. Like all these people's faces are coming into my, my head, but Ellen DeGeneres just comes up for me because from – from the very beginning with her, you always could feel her truth, right? Mm-hmm. Like she was telling the truth and she was just being kind and she was just being herself. And 
and she I, she's still that way to me. Sure. She's always been one of my role models. And that's a person who, it doesn't mean she has no ego or no ambition or that she doesn't have unconscious, but there's something about her that you're like, I feel that from her. Right. And I could name a million more. Well, and Oprah, I, Maya Angelou. You right. Know. Well, and I would like to kind of turn it into like our regular household you know, dealings on a daily basis. Like, you know, when I coach a guy and they're like, and you know, he's like, oh, my wife just, she, she doesn't get it the way I do or whatever. My invitation to the guys who are out there saying that, um, I would turn that reflection inward and see, can you accept your wife for not being, you know, as far ahead on the path, you know, if we we're going to use that terminology, not doing the deep, not dive, doing the yeah. deep dive, mm-hmm. you know, instead of saying, well, she should do that. Or, you know, my other example is, oh, my kids on technology too much. They should deeper connect with nature. Meanwhile, I'm on my phone. That's yours. Yeah. When that happens, I think I need to take a deeper dive and connect with nature, yeah. not force them on it. And that right. doesn't mean I don't suggest it. And there are times when I'm like, get up, like whatever, a month or two ago, I said, guys, we've all been on technology too much. We're taking a forest bath. Family which, outing. Family outing. And we're going to the forest and we're just going to kind of kick it back old school. And that happens too. Right. But, but most of the time, I would say we need to turn that energy inward instead of outward. Well, and I think a lot of that, I run into this too with women that I work with when they say, you know, I just wish my my significant other or my kids were, they think like I did or read the books that I do. And again, that's knowledge stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, it's a knowledge-based, I've read all these books, I know these things. I always tell... Um, uh, women and, and and again, I'm speaking from experience here. I did this too, but I can always tell someone who just started reading self help books because yep. you know what they do? They start thinking about everybody in their life who needs the book yep. rather than reading the book for themselves. And that's natural too. It is. It's just like um, th- that. Is I almost think, and, and again, I I don't even want to put this in phases. I like to see it as a circle. Mm-hmm. I think we go in circles in our life in a good way. You know, like we're we're you know, completing cycles, that's a better word than circle. Um, But I think often we start with something and we get excited about it and we want to spread the word and and say, oh, my brother needs this, my sister needs this, my spouse needs this, but we're unwilling to really take that information and live it. We're just using it as knowledge. And then sometimes we do the deep dive sometimes and we live it ourselves and then we recognize we're no different than anybody else. And and then it becomes a full cycle, right? But then the process starts over with something else. And you guys have heard me say this a million times. I stole it from Oprah, but the same issue comes up wearing different pants. That has been my life story is I will think, I I told my women's circle the other night, I said, I'm so glad I didn't start women's circle when I was 32, because I think you guys would have like not liked me very much because I thought I knew everything. I was like, I know this author and this quote and this book. And I was just knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. Now, did I know that what I was that I was doing that I wasn't trying to hurt anybody mm-hmm. and I thought I was being authentic but what I really found was information that resonated with me and instead of integrating it and really living it I spouted it mm-hmm. can you guys feel right. the difference yeah. there's a difference and I think what I've realized now and I still go through the cycles you know I'm still cycling but is that when you understand what it's like the finger pointing to the moon thing, you know, nobody, what is that thing? You know, you can only point to something. You can't live it for somebody. And you, once you integrate it and you're living it, what you realize is we're all exactly the same. You are no better. You are no worse. Right. You are, and that's that's the shape spiral you're talking that's about. That's this exactly, and then sometimes the ego gets involved again, and blah blah blah, and that's called being human. Well, so you don't shame yourself for that. Well, when we talk about being in balance, there's no such thing as actual balance. Exactly. The difference between well, I think what you're explaining, and this is something I learned from Terry Real, is the relationship between grandiosity, which Correct. means I am better than you, right. I know more than you, and shame, which means I don't know anything. Everybody's better than me. Everybody's better, mm-hmm. and the the trick is not to always being right in between those two levels, the trick is to know when you are too far up the grandiosity um, chain or too far down the shame spiral. And I just came out of a huge shame spiral. And so I'm leveling out, you know, where I'm like, wow, like Todd and I were just having a talk upstairs about some of my like things I said when I was really in shame. And, And I think that 
that it's, you know, it's interesting because now I don't feel that way, but I, I trust my body. I trust that I, it needed to be said out loud because it was either really old or it was something I wasn't dealing with. Like, I don't sit here and say, oh, wow, that's a huge problem. Mm-hmm. I think that we go through these cycles or we have these experiences to help us find Keep. Let me say it this way. We don't need to find anything to stay in touch with our humanity. Right. Like staying in touch with our humanity does not mean being happy every day. Yeah. Like the, the other thing I see from teachers a lot online and people I, I work with and love dearly um, is a lot of, do you want to be happy all the time? Be like me or do what I do or show up for this class or do this. And we're not supposed to be. Mm. Now, if it's, do you want something to add to your life that could maybe give you, uh, you may enjoy this. It's it's all, you guys know me, I get all caught up in the words and the semantics, but we're not supposed to be ecstatic and happy all the time. Yeah. And that's okay because living a, a full and whole life means you're feeling everything around you. So you're going to enjoy your joy and lean into your joy and practice gratitude. And then sometimes... You know, you see something and it makes you cry. Like I I was just talking to my mom and we were talking about my dad and, you know, I was just telling her that I was driving in the car yesterday and I was totally fine thinking about something completely different and a song came on and I started to cry and and I love that. Yeah. And then the song was over and it and it hurts and I miss my dad and I like telling my mom that story because we can bring him up again and then I'm okay. But to be like, oh, I'm going to turn this off because right. I don't want this to make me sad. That's not, that's not full life for me. Well, that's humans, I think, were um, put on this earth. Part of our evolution is for emotions, yeah. energy and motion yeah. to come up be felt and then release. Right. What we tend to do is escape right. or suppress. Right. And I'm or medicate, or self-medicate, you know. And the idea is if you can really I don't think I'm going to do a good job explaining this, but I'll try. If you can really be aware of your sadness for your mm-hmm. dad when you listen to it and really really feel we uh, have scientists that tell us if you do that, it will last for 90 seconds. Correct. If you truly like fully embody the feeling. Right. But I, I still think that's weird. I know. And and I think it's because of our brain and our programming. And I want to take a step back. I just said the word medicate and what I meant was self-medicate, mm-hmm. especially after my experience with sleep and everything yeah. and needing support with that. I'm not saying that medication is a negative thing. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying, self-medication mm-hmm. means we go have a drink, mm-hmm. we get sad and we pull out a cigarette, yeah. we go shopping and buy stuff. It's an unconscious kind of numbing. Yeah. Uh, we get busy, yeah. we get overproductive. Yeah. That's what I meant. Um, so The 90 second thing. The 92nd thing. I think what the problem is, is that our, we're, even though that's the way emotion works, that's not the way our brains and bodies work. Right, the emotions are are, are one thing, and I think are more intuitive. Right, and our brain gets in the way because of experience, and yeah. because it hurts, and we don't want to feel it, and because it also triggers other old stuff. Yeah. So when you have a feeling of sadness, you're not just feeling pure sadness in that moment. Yeah. You also trigger old stuff. Yeah. And the old stuff is like, oh my gosh, this think, could be scary. I think the reason I get confused in talking about the 90 second rule is what about the people, all of us who say that, you know, whatever, their dad died and they're still struggling three months later. Like that's a sadness that is kind of... But that's a different thing. That is a... Sadness in its pure form is the example that I just gave about I'm driving in the car, I hear a song, it reminds me of my dad, I start to cry. I don't know if it was 90 seconds. I, I don't think yeah. I did that that way, but it came through and then I was okay again. It doesn't mean I'm over grieving for my dad. Right. It means that emotion came through. And it might come, it come up will again. Come, it, I guarantee it Yeah, will. right. And so it's it, you're connecting a situation to a feeling. Yeah. And so it's not like... Oh, you know, um, it, it, someone dies, or God forbid, something happens to someone, or a house burns down, or something. It's not like okay, I'm going to feel this for ninety seconds. I'm I'm over it. Yeah. It's about it's emotion is our waves. Yeah. 
And you, you, it's funny that you we're talking about this because you kept saying that to me while I was sick when I would have either physical or an emotional, you know, experience with something you would say, don't forget it's just a wave. Mm-hmm. It's just a wave. Yeah. And you were right. Yeah. Like, and the waves weren't always 90 seconds. Sometimes they were a full day. Yeah. But it, it's not forever. And one of the shows that you and I did a while back um, was about the three Ps. And I, I won't go down a huge hole with this, but Sheryl Sandberg talked about how when her husband, um, Dave Goldberg, died suddenly, which was just so sudden, that she, of course, was grieving and was struggling. And what helped her was uh, Martin Seligman, who is actually the, uh, he's kind of like the father of positive psychology, like he was Sean Acor's teacher and, you know, he positive psychology was his thing. And he talks about that in our lives, we, we there are, th- there's the three P's, which helps us look at things differently. Yeah. The first one is personalization. A lot of times when something happens to us, we personalize it and we think it's our fault. Sound familiar? Yeah. I actually had a total panic attack because I thought I caused my own flu. Yeah. I blamed myself. Okay. And you guys take that into your own life. Like, you know, I'm giving my story, but like we personalize everything. And Sheryl Sandberg personalized, she's like, I should have taken Dave to the doctor. It's my fault he died. Yeah even though nobody knew that he had this heart issue. So personalization, and once she realized she was doing that, that helped her. Mm. The second one was pervasiveness, which means that when we realize an an event in our life doesn't have to overlap with everything else in our lives. Her example was she was grieving so much at home and with her children, and she works at Facebook. As you guys know, she's CEO of Facebook – And she went to work one day and was in a meeting and they were having conversation and she got lost in the work conversation and realized for that short five minutes, she was not grieving. Mm. And pervasiveness is when we take something and we allow it to overshadow every aspect of our life. And we have no, everything is like, it's like a, it's like we put it all in a drink and it all gets blended together rather than realizing this is an issue here, but here I'm actually okay. Yeah. And then the last one, which is the most important one to me, is permanence. Permanence. Not everything. It will not always be this way. Mamas who are listening right now with young kids who are exhausted, you guys who are sleep deprived and your children are driving you crazy and blah, blah. It, it's not permanent. It, it feels permanent and it feels long, but it, it will change. If you are Fast. feeling sick right now, you have a cold, your cold will go away. Yeah. And, and again, I know you guys, there's some examples that you can say, but this won't go away or this, but maybe the way you feel about it will change. Well, it reminds me of Wayne Dyer. Um, I remember he said something like, the only thing that is real is the thing that never changes. And the only thing that never changes is like love, love you know, like know. the basic, basic stuff. So anyways, because everything really is impermanent. Correct. It's like a, one of the four Buddhist philosophies right. is like impermanence and detachment. And, and suffering, suffering is not accepting that everything is impermanent. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's so fun to talk about Buddhism because it's such, or Zen Buddhism, especially because it's such a riddle and a paradox, yeah. like where you realize it's just all a big cycle and yeah. circle yeah. and, you know, nothing stays the same. You can't control it. Yet our whole lives, we're trying to have something stay the same and be controlled. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> Prodigy is an online math platform loved by more than 50 million first to eighth grade students and 1.5 million teachers worldwide. With their premium membership, they get extra features and fun rewards like exclusive pet characters, gear, and accessories that will give your child more incentive to play and keep them engaged with math practice. If you're not familiar with Prodigy, this game takes kids through a fantasy world full of epic battles and adventure where success involves answering curriculum-aligned math questions. With a premium membership, students often spend more time in the game, which leads to more questions answered and more math skills mastered. And with monthly, yearly, or even family memberships, you can find the premium membership that works for your family. Check out the Prodigy Premium Memberships page to find out how you can level up math learning and unlock your child's full potential. Visit prodigygame.com slash zenparenting and click get your free account to get started. I think the most important thing that Rob says in that clip that we played way long ago was 
again, owning that your waking up is taking a while and that it will take a while. And this is going to be a lifetime, not just for us individually, but us as a collective, that we want things to move fast and we think this should be happening now. And we have to remember that it's millions of people waking up at different times and they're all on their own journey. And sometimes our enlightenment, this is his quote, not mine, our enlightenment can become an obstacle to the enlightenment of others. Meaning, sometimes when we think we know things and we're saying you should know this and how dare you do this or how dare you vote for this person or how dare you think this, we are becoming the very the thing, very thing that we oppose. That we oppose. Thank you for saying that. And I also think that, and that doesn't mean that, just like he said, it doesn't mean I, I march, mm-hmm. I show up, I speak up, I'm very clear about what's the most important. It's not what you do, it's how you're going to do it. It's how you do it. It's not what you say to your wife or your husband or your kids, it's how you, what energy are you bringing to civility, that conversation? Civility, 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 because if you feel that people are being ugly, it is no use for you to be ugly back at them. Mm-hmm. You've got to have a different option. Like last year, one of our quotes at the conference was love louder. And then the final thing is, this is so valuable to me. And you guys, I'm going to, you know, I made a new vision board and this is a big part of it. Evolvement is grace, fear, and trembling. It's like mm-hmm. doubt, constant doubt. And at the same time, constant grace. Evolvement is not certainty. I'll tell you something. When I'm going through pain, I'm not certain about anything. Sometimes I have no grounding under my feet. And this is the thing. The definition, and I got this from Michael Beckwith, who runs the um, Agape Institute in California. He said, a dark night of the soul, what the definition of that is, is when you don't know where you're going and you have no ground under your feet, which means you lost your certainty and you don't know what's next. And I have those a lot where I'm like, okay, something new, not, I shouldn't say that. I don't have a lot of dark nights of the soul where I'm completely lost, but I have a lot of uncertain times. Like, wait, is this, what is this? And and am I being my true self? And is this my ego? And what do I believe? And that's grace, fear, and trembling. You're not always certain because certainty can become an ideology. Exactly. And these, it's very nuanced, but what Todd said is the key. What I know is true is love. And that's all I know. And I don't always know how the love will show up. I don't know how it always looks. And sometimes I miss it, but I, that's all I believe in. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and when I say that, that means I believe in that I my belief in God and mm-hmm. universe. But that's all love. Yeah. And that, to, and again, it would be ten shows for me to explain how that all interweaves with everything else for me personally. So I can only imagine how you guys are like, okay, how does that? This is very personal, but that's the grounding under my feet. And even sometimes I lose that. Yeah. And I'll be like, I. But that's the cycle. That's the cycle. So for those of you who are struggling, who are struggling, humility and common humanity, you're not alone. You're not alone. And if you feel like you don't have any grounding, that's part of the process, the cycle, and you're not alone. And reach out and ask for help because there is somebody who can help. If it be someone you love or somebody in a medical profession or a you know, family member, do that. And also... When you have the strength, help other people, not with telling them what to think, Mm -hmm. but with just being grace and showing up. And this is Zen Parenting Radio. Your kids, enough lectures, just open your arms and say, I'm here. Mm -hmm. That's grace. You know, like somebody saying, I see you, I hear you, I'm with you. So that to to me was really valuable. So go on. Next thing. This is a quick uh, exchange between two guys named Jerry Seinfeld and George Costanza. I know those guys. And I will explain why I play this after the other on the other side. Talking about a sitcom. <laughs> you want to go with me to NBC? Yeah, I think we really got something in. What do we got? An idea. What idea? An idea for the show. I still don't know what the idea is. It's about nothing. Right. Everybody's doing something. We'll do nothing. <laughs> So we go into NBC, we tell them we got an idea for a show about nothing. Exactly. They say, what's your show about? I say, nothing. There you go. 
I think you may have something here. <laughs> so this is why I'm playing it. Uh, in the TED Radio Hour, um, the name of the podcast, uh, what was it? I have it. Oh, Listen to Slowing Down. The TED Radio Hour um, takes clips of other TED Talks, and then they interview the people in the TED Talk. And the two things I want to share about this TED Radio Hour, one is uh, there's a TED Talk by some Norwegian guy who decided to um, put a camera in front of a train from one side of Norway to the other and just record it. Mm -hmm. So it's weird. Me and Skylar actually just watched... um, literally an hour of it, which yeah. is strange. We, well, we had it on in our house going for like four hours. Right. And it's just that, like there's no commercial breaks. There's no nothing. You, It's it's literally a train ride as if you're the engineer. So you Correct. can see out the front um, of the beautiful Norwegian countryside. And, and all you hear is either the train on the tracks or occasionally laughter and of the engineers and Norwegian yeah, talking. Fun. And then the train will stop yeah. and you'll see these people get uh-huh. on and get uh-huh. off and like nothing happens. Right. So that's why I play the Seinfeld clip. But um, they, the guys who did this, they were celebrating the anniversary of that train rail or something like that. I and thought it was about World War II. I thought, I think there is some tie to okay. World War II as well, but it also was the celebration of when the railway began. But anyways, so it's just a wonderful meditative background thing. Like sometimes I just want the TV to be off. Yeah. But sometimes I like to just have the nature pictures. Mm-hmm. And when I found out about this, um, this idea that there, so it's on Netflix. So for those of you guys who have Netflix, this is something that is available to you. And they have a whole bunch of different ones. Um, it's called Slow, slow TV. TV. So just put in Slow TV into Netflix. They have a train ride from Bergen to Oslo. They have a um, a big boat going through a canal. They have a firewood, like it's a fireplace. Right, like people do that sometimes in the, during the holidays. A guy salmon fishing for eight hours. Awesome. A national knitting evening. Mm. Um, so check it out. And the, what's funny about this is... Uh, they tried to find out how many people are watching this because obviously they were hoping a few hundred people would watch it in Norway and it, like it blew, it was like 450,000 people oh my gosh. tuned in. Um, but just to kind of give some perspective, they the, this article I found said representatives, from, they tried to contact Netflix to see how many people are watching it and they couldn't get a response. But they said representatives from Netflix could not be reached. But the data analytics from Listen First Media said that slow TV was the subject of only 2,500 tweets in August, while Stranger Things generated well over 2 million. Mm. Obviously, Stranger Things is a big hit. I think of this podcast as a vehicle for mindfulness. And I just think that this is a wonderful vehicle for mindfulness. You said that twice. I did. I don't know. You just said, I think it's a vehicle for mindfulness. And so, I think it's a vehicle a, for yeah. mindfulness. Lady Redundant Woman. Lady Redundant Woman. Um, so check it out. I, I'm going to watch this the fishing one next, I think. Well, this is what was funny. Uh, I had Women's Circle the other night and Todd had had it on the TV all day. And I kind of forgot because a lot of times the screen goes dark because the train is in a tunnel mm-hmm. and you can hear the tracks, but it's like white Yeah, noise. you think something happened to your TV because yeah. it's a black screen. But in the beginning of the Norwegian train one, like aside from the very beginning where the train pushes off, it's like black screen for like 14 minutes. Right. So you don't, you kind of forget it's on and all these, you know, women came over, all my friends and I started talking and all of a sudden there was ding, ding. And then, and everyone's looking around like, where's that coming from? I'm like, oh my gosh, slow TV is still on. Yes. And I had forgotten that it was even on. It had become this like great background noise. And I had told them that it was about World War II because I thought that's what, I thought it was I a celebration. I think there's some tie into it, but I, I, I'm i ignorant. I'm not certain of yeah, it. Yeah, so. I don't know either. But it, regardless, it's cool. So the other part of this TED Radio Hour, and we'll put the uh, link to the Robcast that we talked about and to this TED Radio Hour into the show notes that you can actually click on on your phone so you don't have to go to your laptop. Just click um, on the show notes of your phone if you're listening to it on your phone and we'll go it'll go right to um the links to either the robcast or the youtube clip of this ted radio hour um but adam grant is a professor at the wharton school of the university of pennsylvania and he's also a new york times writer on work and psychology he also wrote option b with cheryl sandberg fyi and pulling that together um and he has a ted talk about procrastination which i think is interesting and i think the gist is procrastination kind of gets a bad rap 
because sometimes your best ideas come from a result of like last minute stuff. And right. sometimes if you plan so far ahead, creativity is the um, is is actually what gets left off the table because mm. you're so kind of in this whatever side of the brain it is. Well, you're you're definitely in the left side because you're trying to be logical about your time and how you're using it and having a structure and not getting behind. Mm -hmm. And what you're missing is spontaneity. Yes, exactly. Thank you. So I thought that this clip was really interesting. I don't think it's long at all, less than a minute. But uh, this is Adam Grant talking about procrastination. He modeled light and made him into a much better painter. What about Martin Luther King Jr.? The night before the biggest speech of his life, the March on Washington, he was up past 3 a.m. rewriting it. He's sitting in the audience waiting for his turn to go on stage, and he is still scribbling notes and crossing out lines. When he gets on stage, 11 minutes in, he leaves his prepared remarks to utter four words that change the course of history. I have a dream. That was not in the script. By delaying the task of finalizing the speech until the very last minute, he left himself open to the widest range of possible ideas. And because the text wasn't set in stone, he had freedom to improvise. I can't believe that. I agree with that 10 million percent. You know, Did you think about when you and I present, did you think about... Well, it's funny you say that because the way you and I present is that um, to say that we know exactly what's going to happen. Or what this show. Oh, today's podcast? Well, I'm saying oh, present this show. or this show. Yeah, we write a few ideas down on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I pull up some YouTube clips because I think they'll be funny. Mm -hmm. But it's funny because there's all these really successful, famous, effective, impactful speakers out there. Um, but they give the same talk over and over and over and over and over again. Right. And... You and I don't really do that. And that doesn't mean they're better or we're better, but we are more an exchange of when we get in front of a group for us to kind of preconceive what it is that we say. think people want to hear. Right, right. And some of it is people asking questions, but some of it's body language. Some of it's what happened to us, you know, right before we... Right, for example, the three P's that I was just talking to you guys about that we weren't going to talk about that. Sure. Like that was just like it makes sense to go here and then to talk about dark nights of the soul. That doesn't we didn't plan. And and again, it doesn't matter what you guys know about what we plan. What the point is, is that when there's space, mm -hmm. you can go anywhere. Yeah. And I think that why this is so important is because something that you and I still struggle with. And I think both of us do, but we've we've had this conversation a lot for the last couple of years. Is sometimes we get this idea when some when when Todd and I are going to go talk to a group that knows us really well, we have no problem walking in with a topic and that's it. And then we will riff and take questions and maybe say, "Well, wait a you know," and then we we show up as pure as can be, right? But then when there's something that someone's like, "You're the keynote." We're paying you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're going to need to show up. Do you want a PowerPoint? You and I both are like, oh my god, like, not not scared to do it, but like, do we need to work harder yeah. here? Like, are we doing something wrong are, if we don't? If we walk in kind of riffing, right? Even though that's when we're best, yeah. and that's when we're most authentic. Excuse me, I have to clear my throat. <clears throat> Even though that's our purest self, and what I think people really want, because that's when we share personal stories. Mm -hmm. But there's still this part of us that has been trained that we should have slides. Yep. And so I think our happy medium has become, mm -hmm. and for those of you who have seen us speak, you, you've maybe noticed this, is we'll have a PowerPoint, but we very rarely, like it's there, so we can use it if we need to, but oftentimes we get into three slides out of 20 and yeah. we never get through it, or we kind of skip around, or we just like, the last talk we did at the library, I had you pull up like three YouTube clips that had nothing to do with our PowerPoint. Yeah. And I think that scares people, though, because I think a lot of people have, and this is the, you know, the number one fear, right? Public speaking. Public speaking. Yeah. So the way that people, that over death, you guys, yeah. number one fear is public speaking. Death is second. Is that I think when people get into a public speaking experience, they need to feel prepared because, and totally get it. Yeah. Because they're so afraid of a being in front of people that they really do want to go on autopilot. Yeah. So I think that's why 
like a lot, I think that's why Adam Grant is saying leave room for the creativity, but a lot of us don't trust it'll come through. And it, and it's a balance too, because if you walk in flippantly thinking, oh, I got this and you don't have, um, you're like, well, it'll just take care of itself. There is the counterbalance to that also, like you and I also do our best to put ourselves in a position to be able to riff. Right. Do you know what I mean? Well, and here's the thing. This is the gift. And I'm saying this as this has been the gift of my lifetime is the work I do is what I would do anyway if I wasn't doing this work. Right. What I mean by that is these podcasts that we're talking to you guys about or these books or these quotes I'm telling you, I'm not using them. I'm not finding them for the show. I, w- I find them in my life for me, and then I get the blessing of sharing them with you. Yep. So there is no prep work for the show because I'm doing that anyway. Yeah. That's Honestly, that's the – and I think we give thanks for this always, but in, you know, in prayer and meditation, that kind of thing, to be able to do that – to be like this is what I this is a book I'd be reading anyway, and then to not have to like be like okay now I have to well actually you have to do that sometimes because you have a lot of different jobs mm-hmm. and so there are some parts of your work that you do have to just literally prepare for it yeah. because it's not a book you would well be and I think what you're saying is we're we're reading books watching TED talks listening to podcasts we get this privilege privilege great word of sharing privilege. these yes. messages to this audience, yes. to my men's group, to your women's circle, right. to anybody who reads a blog that you or I do. Right. Like, it's such an honor. Yeah. And talk about being in alignment. Yes. Like, that's when, you know, don't ask what the world needs, ask what co- makes you come alive, because what the world needs is people who come alive. Yeah. It's, it's that whole thing. So, um, And I even say to my uh, college students, um, I give them a syllabus, and I try and follow the basics of it. But I tell them, you have to come to class. Yeah. Attendance is half your your grade because I sometimes change what I'm going to talk about on the way in to class while I'm driving on North Avenue because of something I hear on the radio. So you can't look at the syllabus and be like, oh, this is what we did today. I don't know what we're going to do today. Mm-hmm. They always laugh when I say that because that's not about not being prepared. Yeah. I'm very prepared. I know, you know, like the syllabus is done. I have the notes, but I may not touch them yeah. that day. And that to me, and I don't know how they feel, but is a more fun class to teach. Well, I when you were sick, um, your textbook is Before Happiness by Sean, Sean Acorn, Acor, mm-hmm. which is a book that I kind of read over Christmas break. And you were already sick one day and you don't want to be sick a second day. So you asked me to go in Uh and I felt weirdly prepared to talk about that book. But one thing I said to your students, so basically this was the first class of these kids semester. (laughs) They hadn't yet met you. I walk in, all the kids think that they're in in their own own classroom. (laughs) And, you know, I went through and had a good Q&A and talked a little bit about the book and all that. But I said to them, listen, guys, honestly, this is an easy A if you come to class, uh-huh. listen, uh-huh. engage with the teacher. Uh-huh. Be introspective. Be interested. Like you're or introspective versus interested. Right. Like go in there with it. Yes. Yeah. You are golden. Yeah. Like, and then do a few of, you know, the small homework assignments yep. that you do. The final paper. Like it, it's, and they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. And that's really all you want from a teacher anyways. And right? yet there, some kids have learned shortcuts in life. Some of them, some of my kids have stories that they just can't, they're taking care of an ailing parent or they're kind of the second parent to their siblings and they have life issues that keep them from coming to class. And I have a lot of understanding and I work very closely with them to make sure they get through the semester. But some kids have learned, I just don't show up and I'll just turn in the paper late and I'll just not be there. And they think that it's going to be all right. And it's not. I think what you're describing is the brilliant kids who are good test takers who yeah. can glance at some notes yeah. before a test and walk in think they're going to get an A. I got zero things to memorize in my class. Yeah, forget it. Right. And that's why your your kids are like always dumbfounded. Like, you know, like your first homework assignment is to write a story about something that happened in your life or whatever. Yeah. And they, like, they'll be like, okay, what story should I write? They'll ask you. <laughs> right. How many pages? Double spaced? Um, can I, how many resources? How many? And I'm like, no. Which value? <laughs> is what is your meaning in life? Like right now, not forever, but right now. And they're like, you mean when, huh? And and I do that on purpose. I'm not trying to make fun of them. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to get them out of that mindset of what does she want from me? I always say, you guys, don't write a paper to impress me. 
write a paper that you're impressing yourself, you know? Sweetie, will you tell them some of the textbooks that you've used uh, as curriculum in these class? Sure. Um, well, this semester I'm First of all, everybody stop and think about their boring <laughs> college classes that they took. I remember what my accounting 62 textbook looked like. I remember mm -hmm. that god-awful cover. Mm -hmm. um, I remember my stat textbooks. Like, I just... I, so, okay, so now what are some of the books that you've used? Um, okay, so this semester I'm using Sean Acor's Beyond Happiness. Last semester I used Brene Brown's The Gifts of Imperfection. The class before that I used El Luna's Choice. Uh, what was El Luna's book called? The Difference the Between difference, uh, Should and Must. The, 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 the Crossroad the between, cross between Should and Must. Um, the semester before that, I think, or a couple semesters before that, I used um, Ed Bacon's book, The Eight Habits of Love. Like, and like, that's enough. Okay. Like, that's just... Don't you guys want to take Kathy's class? Well, and I use my book. Yeah. In Sociology of the Family, I use my book because it's about family. Mm -hmm. um, but there, but oh, I know what else I used that I loved. It was one of my favorite semesters. Uh, Daniel Pink's uh, oh, Right Brainers yeah, Will Rule good. the World because that is all about, you know, the creative process. And that was really good. Um, but I was going to say something about, oh, I was going to say that it's interesting because when I started doing that at Dominican, I was nervous because I was kind of going against not against, but the teacher prior to that, non-traditional, used a textbook and taught him about history and Jane Addams. And I'm like, they're going to get that so many times. Do you know how many times psych, counseling, social work, and education majors get Piaget, Erickson, Freud, Young? We get it crammed down our throat over and over and over again. And and not that it's not worthy to be, we need it because it's the basis of all theory, but we get it over and over and over again. So it's like, what can I do different in this class, right? So that's part of it. And I've been at Dominican seven years. And this year, I also teach now at Elmhurst College. I teach both places. But when I went in for my interview for Elmhurst College, that was the first thing I said. I said, listen, I'm, I'm so happy to be here and honored that I could work in my own hometown, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, I said, but I don't teach this class the way that you may think I do, mm -hmm. because I was looking at what intro to social work meant to them. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting with the two women, you know, the deans, and I said, here's what I do. And here's what I focus on. And they're like, fine. Mm -hmm. And I was, but I told Todd before I went to the interview, I said, this may not work out sure. because they may say, sorry, Yeah, we need you to we need you to be a boring professor. Well, or they, they said it, this needs to follow these rules, but they understood that if you're going to be a good social worker, you have to learn how to take care of yourself, how to be compassionate, how to not burn out. That to me makes more sense mm -hmm. than anything else. And it, it, and even the kids who aren't going to be social workers, no matter what job you're going to do, this is essential. So I think it's good. Um, but anyway, so. So we um, have to go. Okay. Um, a few things. We have something called Teams M, which is a sub subscription-based uh, thing where uh, we do two Zen Talks a month and have this Facebook community and give you discounts on everything. So if you're interested in learning more about Team Zen, go to our website, zenparentingradio.com, and you'll find a Team Zen link on there. Um, our one that we did recently, these were the bullet points from one of the teams and talks that we did before. And basically it's, uh, moms and dads on a video chat with us asking questions and we answer. And then some of the people will answer with it and share stories. So it's pretty fun. Uh, why setting expectations upfront may decrease negative behavior in our kids. Why it's important to validate our children's feelings and pain, even during sporting events. I think we talked a little bit about you on that one. Uh, I don't even remember that one. Is um, this really old? No, it's, it's a little bit older. Why validation is different than permissiveness. Oh, this isn't the last no, no. talk. This is yeah, an older it's one. a while okay. ago. Mm -hmm. So those are just some ideas of some of the things that we do. And, you know, we kind of riff on that. Like people ask us questions and we give our best answer as best we can. And we have the Facebook page for Team Zen where yeah. people can, uh, if they'd rather get a you know bunch of feedback from a lot of different people. Some of the people on there like will write a question and be like, I'm having a hard time with my three-year-old sleeping or my one-year-old sleeping. And the people on Team Zen are much better equipped mm. to answer that than Todd and I are. Yeah. And all of a sudden you get like 20 people saying, here's what I've done, here's yeah. what I've done. And it's just like 
amazing. Um, a quick tease to uh, next week's podcast. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about a book called Brainstorm, The Power and Purpose of the Teenage Brain. I feel like a lot of our listeners are younger moms and dads who have infants and all that. And I feel like we don't spend enough time talking about the teenage brain. So okay. that's a, but I'm going to, the reason I'm saying it on this podcast is I tend to have an idea and then by next week, I think it's boring, but I think this is going to be pretty good. You want to know why we don't talk about what we're ever going to talk about next week? Do you remember? Because we might not know. Well, the whole thing that Adam Grant was saying. Yeah. Because you and I, there was a point when we were working with someone who was like, you should structure out your month and decide what you're going to talk about oh, for yeah. four weeks yeah, in a row. Yeah, have a theme. And I was like, there is no way we no, can do that's that. That's not our thing. There's no way. So anyways, um, so yeah, check out Team Zen, get your tickets for the uh, conference, all that good stuff. Um, oh, please come to the conference. Yeah. It's going to be so good. Go to zenparentingradio.com or zenparentingconference.com. And if you are struggling, uh, struggling is the wrong word, if you need some support or assistance um, with the ticket cost, let us know. Yeah. Email us. Yeah, we can help. Yeah. All right, guys. Adios. Have a good one. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Also subscribe and review our Pop Culturing Podcast, a Gen X viewpoint on movies and TV with an emphasis on personal growth and self-awareness. It's basically the flip side of Zen Parenting Radio. Do you want more Zen Parenting? Check out our third podcast, otherwise known as Team Zen. One of our team members described it as an advice column meets group help meets like-minded community. With your $25 subscription, you get two live Zen talks with an opportunity to ask us live questions, plus a Facebook community where you can interact or just listen to like-minded parents. If you can't join us live, you can still access all the Zen talks through the Team Zen podcast app. Zen Parenting Conference 2020 is February 28th and 29th. We'll be discussing sex ed, gender, anxiety, neurodiversity, and healthy relationships. Go to zenparentingconference.com to get your tickets. Interested in inviting us to speak at your conference or organization? Go to zenparentingradio.com and submit a speaker request. And while you're there, check out our upcoming events or you can purchase one of my three books. If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link under the Support Us link on our homepage. It doesn't cost anything to you, but we get a small commission from Amazon. And guys, I have a one-on-one -on -one coaching practice. It's called Coaching for Guys. You want to achieve a better work-life balance or deepen your relationships with loved ones? We can talk in person, phone, FaceTime, you choose. And don't forget about Tribe Men's Group. We have a virtual community from men all over the world. Head on over to tribemensgroup.org or shoot me an email at todd at zenparentingradio.com. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. Finally, I want to give a special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty, and the company he has is Avid. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidco.net or give them a call at 630-956-1800. Thanks for all your love and support, and keep on trucking.